Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Coming up, Otis Anderson will join us. That will be an hour number three, about an hour and 15 minutes from now. 20 minutes, Marcy Smith, former University of Arizona swimming champion and the co-founder of the Independent Council on Women's Sports. Uh, she joins us to discuss the letter that they wrote the NCAA and that she delivered outside the NCAA convention. Uh, to direct, uh, direct uh, action, immediate action, to establish the rules to keep women's sports female. That's in Hutton, 20 minutes first from now. First question to Marshy. Marshy. Marcy? Marshy? Marshy. Hard to say Marshy. What is the Independent Council of Women's Sports, and can you and I form that for broadcasters? Can we just decide? Hutton and Chad are forming the Independent Council for podcast hosts. But I think you just did and it. And then start it? I think you just did it. Do you just form a charter? Like, do you write it up? It's like the Magna Carta. Yeah, we'll have Can bylaws. Can I write our Constitution? Our bylaws. And write out bylaws? Yeah. I would love to do that. That's my first question. What is this exactly? And then we'll move forward with the interview. And, and, then, uh, and then, Chad, you have the model to copy it. Yes. Well, I need, I, yeah, I don't want to give that away to Marshy, our guest first, to say, <laughs> look, I'm looking to start my own coalition, so I need to know how you did it first, because we're going to form one, and then we'll figure that out. I can't lead with that, Hutton. I got to lead just with asking that question. And then once we figure that out, then I'll start to write the Constitution. We've been discussing uh, the Cowboys uh, win last night over the Bucks. But biggest storyline today is Brady, but moving forward, it's Dallas and how far they can take this with a roster that's built to win. And last night with the play of Dak Prescott, they can win it all with the way he played. Career best performance, but. Chad, a fantastic start for Dallas where they didn't just win. There was no question that Dallas was moving forward by halftime of this. The only question was whether or not Brett Maher was going to miss another extra point at any well, point. Yeah, he would game. have if they scored again. That was incredible. But he finally hit the one. He was one for five on the night. He missed his first four and then hit his final extra point. And the third one, the response from Peyton Manning on the Manning cast was hilarious, where he just stood and went nuts and said, why, why are we kicking? Why are we kicking? Then he asked the question, can you cut someone at halftime of a playoff game? <laughs> Talking about the kicker. You could feel some of that old animosity towards Mike Vanderjack popping back up mm. with Peyton Manning as he was watching this kicking display. That is a performance that a lot of times would get you cut because it's just such a mental yips situation with Mar, but luckily they just blew out the Bucks, so it didn't matter. Yeah, it's item. So 10 if you on come back and think, hey, you know, I, I overcompensated on this one. I was missing right, then I hooked one left, and you can explain it away and you don't look mentally defeated, then you probably keep your job. But other circumstances they lose that game, that's probably good riddance for Brett Maher. Jordan Schultz joins us from the score, NFL insider. And uh Jordan, I know you, you heard a bit of that. We were discussing, it's not that Dallas won over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's how they won and the play of Dak Prescott winning on the road for a franchise in the playoffs for the first time in three decades. 
your big takeaway from the play of Prescott and what it means for this Dallas organization as they go to San Fran? Well, first of all, there was a lot of pressure on him. Um, we talk a lot about legacy in this game, for better or worse, and this was a legacy-defining moment. And he had not played well, gents, over the last seven weeks. He had seven picks. And I think one of the things that was so great, if you're a Cowboys fan, is he took the bull by the horns, and it was very clear they had those first two negative drives. But right after that, it was very clear that they were going to keep attacking and they weren't going to be gun-shy. And that's all you want, especially in the playoffs, especially on the road. Um, I picked Dallas in this game because I thought Prescott would play well. I thought he would rise to the moment. And then on the other side, from a defensive standpoint, this is why Dan Quinn is so coveted. Because when he took over three years ago, the Cowboys have just come off the worst season in franchise history in terms of points allowed. Now they're the first team ever in NFL history to lead a league in takeaways two straight years. So if I'm a Cowboys fan, I really can't ask for much more. So, Jordan, let's look at the flip side of this quarterback matchup last night. And Tom Brady struggling, large part because that offensive line is playing behind a lot of other issues. Uh, but just your thoughts as you watch that performance from Brady, a lot of people quick to bury him and say that he needs to retire at this point. What say you about the future of Tom Brady as a quarterback in this league? Well, far be it for me to say Tom Brady should hang him up. I mean, the guy. Oh, no, come on, Jordan. Call, call for his head right now. You're, you're, you're the man right here. Tell us right now that he should retire. I'm mm -hmm. kidding. You, you Give us your honest no, assessment. No, I just think, listen, I mean, I, going into the game, I thought there's no way that Tampa can win this game and throw the ball 50 times. They threw almost 60. They never established the run. And that sounds boring, but that's how this team is built to win. You know, they. They have Fournette. They have Rashad White. Those are two really good backs, and they do different things. And then they have these great receivers. But to me, the whole philosophy for Byron Leftwich and the Bucks was flawed. And part of that was because, yeah, your offensive line was patchwork. You talk about Allie Marpet and finally Ryan Jensen playing his first game last night. But the bottom line is, if you have an offensive line that you know is not very good and you know is still coming together even at this stage in the season, why are you throwing the ball 58 times? I, I know that some, part of that was game script, but you go back to those first two drives where they didn't get a first down, and it was very clear that they were going to throw the ball or try to throw the ball all over the yard. And the way to beat Dallas this season was to run on them. That, that That's how teams had had success. So I didn't like the game plan at all. Um, as, as far as Tom Brady, I, I just I, – I this is not insider reporting. Just me knowing – him and and or knowing his his mentality, I don't know how he goes out like this. Arguably yeah. his worst playoff game ever. I mean, I, I don't know how he says I'm done. Maybe he's done with Tampa. I don't foresee him going back to New England. But there's plenty of teams that you could you could think, yeah, that would be a good fit. Yeah, I'm and and by the way, I'm with you. I I don't think he's done, and I don't think he's going out like this. So let's just. You know, perfect world this thing a little bit. Let's say, Jordan, that he is going to play next year. What's the most intriguing option for him? If he had his pick of a team yeah. right now that may be looking for a quarterback, what would intrigue you the most? The two teams that come to mind would be the Raiders and the Jets. And the Jets because him to, the opportunity to be in New York, and I know it's AFC East and whatever, New England, but the, the Jets have a very good roster, and they've done a really good job of drafting young offensive talent. When you think about Michael Carter and Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, you could go down the line. That would be really intriguing for me. 
On the other side with the Raiders, obviously reuniting with Josh McDaniels, the opportunity to play with a top-tier, all-pro caliber guy, Devontae Adams. Uh, Darren Waller's there still. They didn't, to me, this was a really disappointing year for the Raiders, not just because they didn't win a lot of games, but because you had Derek Carr, who I, I had hoped was ready to finally showcase why he at least wanted to be a top 10 quarterback. And they have the pieces there and they just never got off the ground. And I would put a lot of the blame on Josh, but the opportunity to go to the Raiders would be really interesting if I'm Tom Brady, because it's a historical franchise and you get to go back to the AFC. They have weapons there and there is a pre-existing relationship that's really positive between him and Josh McDaniels. Jordan Schultz, our guest from The Score, NFL insider there, and you can follow him at Schultz underscore report. Jordan, so Sean Payton's talking with organizations. We know he met with Houston. He's meeting with Denver. Friday, he's headed to New York to, to chat with the Panthers. Of the three options, what do you feel like is the best fit? And do you buy that Sean Payton is truly interested in Houston, or is he using that as leverage for one of these other teams? The Houston thing is interesting because potentially you can have full control. Like, I don't believe that Nick Casario, when Nick Casario says, if the coach doesn't want me there, I'm going to step aside. But in theory, that's that's appetizing. Or even if Casario were to stay and Sean would have the opportunity to essentially run the, run the franchise day to day in addition to being the head coach. Um, the Broncos, to me, just 30,000 feet makes mm -hmm. the most sense because he's already said, here's what I do with Russell Wilson. And here's, here's how, to, here's how I would attack this, this offense. And whether or not you like Nathaniel Hackett, and I was not a big fan, um, he was supposed to be an offensive guru. And he, he just never found a way to, to get Russell Wilson comfortable and to maximize all those dudes they have there. And I'm not sure they're going to keep everyone there in terms of the offense, but Sean Payton going on Cowherd's show and saying, I'm going to take 20 or 30 of Wilson's best plays especially the naked boots, all those deep balls, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack those. That's pretty cool. And I can tell you this. I know Russell Wilson likes Sean Payton. I know he likes the idea of having a quarterback guru come in. And I know that Sean Payton had a lot of success with another undersized quarterback in Drew Brees. Now, they have different skill sets, but they also do some of the same things. So 30,000 feet, to me, Denver is the best opportunity for him. Are you as surprised as I am that it will tie Payton in with Brady? We heard both names for the Dolphins a year ago. We're not hearing either guy for the Dolphins now. How surprised are you given the Tua injury history and the concussion issues and the fact that Peyton's actually available and we know the Dolphins were interested last year? The Dolphins, listen, they they went out and they made a big splash with Mike McDaniel, a guy who who hadn't had any head coaching experience at this level who is, thinks a little differently, has the Yale analytics stuff, but also can relate to players. And I thought it was a home run hire at the time, and I still think it was a home run hire. They had some ebbs and flows this year, and uh, you, part of that can be attributed to Tua not being on the field and having all these concussions. But I still think they found their, their man long-term in Mike McDaniel, and I think they believe, uh, Chris Greer, the GM, that Mike McDaniel is the future there. Uh, he's very well-liked in terms of the players, and that's not a prerequisite for success, uh, as we've seen with Brandon Staley and the Chargers. Guys like him, they didn't win. But it does help. And I think Mike McDaniel ultimately is going to be the guy there long term. 
Jordan, what are the Chargers exactly? Are they some cash-poor NFL team? Are they a team that really loves Brandon Staley and the direction of things right now? What, what is the state of ownership and the state of that organization moving forward after what was an epic collapse in Jacksonville? I mean, I can't think of a more disappointing team in terms of top-notch talent and what you're getting or not getting uh, with, with you know, 9, 10 wins. It's not, it's not enough. And to blow a 27-point lead, the third largest in, in NFL playoff history, to, to do so where Austin Eckler, who is an all-pro caliber player, barely gets the ball in the second half. You have one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the league. It was just so backwards to me. And, you know, when you go back to week 18 where they played Mike Williams, he fractures his back. There was no reason for him to play in that game. We, we all understand that. They had already clinched the fifth seed. That, that's just malpractice to me. And, you know, they, what my understanding, as, as I reported yesterday, was Brandon Staley was safe. They wanted to make significant changes, especially offensively, because Staley really is the defense. So they go out and fire Joe Lombardi. And I don't know if that's going to make a difference, but it does save Staley for the time being. The ownership group has money. The Spanos family is just not willing to spend it, which is why Brandon Staley ultimately still has a job. He's owed about $4 million next season. So the whole organization is, is just, they're not in cohesion, right? If you think about some of the great uh, organizations or, or great teams, the, the ideal situation is head coach and GM in lockstep, but also there's an open line of communication to the owner. That's just not the case with the Chargers. Everything's all over the place. And frankly, Tom Telesco, the GM, has had three head coaches, and and you know his job now is probably safe as well because you know he doesn't move on from, from Staley. But just as a whole, it's a long-winded answer. I can't think of a more frustrating organization because unlike Houston, for example, or Indianapolis, they have the top-tier talent. Have you heard a, a, a popular name or a leader in the interview process for the general manager position that remains open in Tennessee? Well, the guy that I love is Rand Carthen uh, from, from San Francisco, who's head of their personnel and is a phenomenal, uh, not only a phenomenal scout, because he, he kind of got his, his start in scouting, but is a relationship builder. He's the one that has helped foster D'Amico Ryans. They're extremely close. He identified him as this guy would be a great DC for us. And, you know, D'Amico's arguably the hottest head coaching name right now. So uh, I know the Titans really like Rand. I know he interviewed there. Um, that would be the number one choice for me for a whole host of reasons. But number one, just bringing stability and scouting from the GM position. And listen, I don't know where you guys stand on J-Rob. He's not there anymore. He had his critics. Uh, he did draft well uh, in terms of he, he did hit on some some big time picks. You ultimately need to hit on more picks, and that's what I think Rand will bring to the table. Jordan, let's play a game of what should happen and what will happen with the Titans' offensive coordinator search with Mike Vrabel. What should he do in terms of direction? Should this be something new outside the family? His way of thinking offensively, but ultimately, what will happen? with Mike Vrabel and the decision he makes with this with this position? I like Shane Steichen from, from Philadelphia. I, I think he has what he's done in Philadelphia, specifically with the quarterback and Jalen Hurts, but also like finding what my offense can do, finding what my guys can do best and putting them in those positions. You know, it's not just that Jalen Hurts had an MVP caliber year. A.J. Brown had his best year yet. Devontae Smith had a great year. Miles Sanders, the running back. 
Um, you, you talk to anyone in that building uh, and, and they'll tell you that that a big part of the success is Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator, um, with respect to Sirianni again. So that's that would be the guy I would like. Now, I don't see that happening. Uh, did, did they have any more interviews today or tomorrow from for, for OC? No, they, they wrapped up an interview just a few minutes ago with Malik Boyd uh, from Buffalo for the general manager yeah. position. Was it was it Ben Johnson? Uh, what, what, what was his? Was he already interviewing? Um, I don't believe so. I didn't. Have they not landed? No, you're right. No, I, I saw his name, but that's it. Yeah. So to me, like part of this comes back to, um, you know, Mike. So when you don't have a GM and your head coach, you know, has a lot of power in that building. You know, he's going to be the one identifying oftentimes, okay, this is the OC I think I could work with really well. And it ultimately, we see a lot of these hires traditionally go back to who's my relationship with? You know, do I have a relationship with this person? Am I comfortable bringing them in? Are they going to acquiesce to me? Are we going to have that common language? Um, and and that, that that's what I, I would imagine would happen. But if you're asking me who's the best fit based on what I've seen this year, it's, it's probably Shane. And they've got Matt Nagy. They've asked for permission with him uh, and with uh, Enemy. And my thought is, if they talk to one, the other one's probably taking the... Like, if it's Enemy, then Nagy stays and, and takes Yeah, they're both KC, spot, right? yeah. Yeah. Enemy. Yeah. I tell you what, Enemy has... Pe- people around the league swear by Eric. Uh, like, it, it, the guys that love Eric believe that he's a great mind. Uh, Nagy is similar. You know, when he, when he was ran out of Chicago, um, he had a lot of critics, including myself. But... He has reestablished himself in a very short period of time in Kansas City, where suddenly, you know, two years ago, people would say, "I, I don't, I don't want, I don't, I don't want, I don't." He's not very good at all. Yeah. But now, people, oh, Matt Nagy, you went to Kansas City. He has the Andy Reid relationship. Uh, he's good. So it's quick. It's it's that's interesting to me how quickly guys can turn it. You know, it's like I'm running out of Chicago. I'm not a hot commodity. Let me restart and restart the cycle. Eric has been there a long time. And you have to wonder if he doesn't get a head coaching job in this cycle, if he's ever going to get one. We know Cliff Kingsbury's heating things up in Thailand right now. <laughs> How hot is his name really in NFL circles for an offensive coordinator job once he gets back from Thailand? I talked to Cliff yesterday for about 20 minutes and you know tr- tried to gather some of that information um, as well as ask around the league, hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of, of Cliff? Um, he is definitely – there are offensive coordinator uh, positions that uh, and teams that would like to interview Cliff, at the very least. Have him for, have him for an inter- interview and see what he brings to the table. Um, he is a very good offensive coach. I think he will learn from the NFL, from, from, his, from what happened in Arizona, some of the mistakes he felt he made, and also the understanding that with respect to Arizona, that was not a functional organization. Uh, we talk about owner and GM and lockstep. Well, Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell, I don't know. I can't think of a more dysfunctional one-two punch. <laughs> and there's a reason why they haven't won in a very long time. And, you know, like like I would love to tell you that it's all some, uh, this guy's fault or that guy's fault. It's a collective, just rudderless organization where things have been going a certain way for a long time, a lack of communication, a lack of trust inside that building. That's a lot to do with time, and and there's a reason why they haven't had success. So back to your original question with Cliff, there is interest, and I've talked to teams that would like to bring him in, even if it's not as an OC, as some type of offensive assistant, 
to work with their quarterbacks. And, um, you know, I, 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 I still think Cliff is deliberating whether or not he wants to coach next season and in what capacity, which is why he's in Thailand right now. What a great predicament. NFL or Thailand. Uh, that doesn't suck. Uh, Jordan yeah, Schultz. it doesn't suck, especially when you have uh, whatever, 20 or what is it, $30 million yeah, Oh, yeah, exactly. Jordan Schultz, uh, he's about to turn from the camera to his right, back to the laptop where he will get back to work for the he'll, score. He'll get back to that chat with Cliff Kingsbury. That's right. Time. I'm not sure That's what time right. it is in Bangkok right now, but he'll get <laughs> it's, back to it's, that. Uh, it's, it's, it's way ahead. Yeah, it's way ahead. So, uh Hey, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a yeah, pleasure. Man. Anytime. Same here. Thank you for coming on. There's Jordan Schultz there from the score. Always uh, enjoy the chats there on all things NFL. And then, you know, we'll get to some NBA discussion, I'm sure, at some point with him, too. Absolutely. Coming up, Marshy Smith will join us. University of Arizona swimming champion, uh, Pac-10 champion as well. And she's championing the message that women's sports need to stay female. She wrote a letter on behalf of the Independent Council of Women's Sports Read this at the NCAA uh, convention last week. We'll chat with her about what the letter said and how she went about co-founding this organization with this message. That's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Coming up, Iowa and Northwestern being rescheduled due to COVID. Yes, this is 2023. Didn't know it was still happening. I know. Okay, Shocking tweet when on. I saw that. Marcy Smith joins us, former University of Arizona swimming champion, Pac-10 champ as well, and now she's the co-founder of the Independent Council on Women's Sports. Marcy, great to have you on. Hope you're well. Thank you so much for having me. My husband thinks I've peaked now that I've made it on Outkick. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, what what led you to create and and develop your organization? Well, I'm a very accidental activist. Um, <laughs> I was a former NCAA champion swimmer in the backstroke, and so witnessing what the events that unfolded last season with Leah Thomas and. Um, what I felt was completely a reversal on my own experience back in 2005 when I was on the University of Arizona team. I um, 
quickly started reaching out to teammates. And one of my teammates, Carly Baldwin, asked if I would help to write a collaborative letter on behalf of the University of Arizona alumni swimmers. So we sent that to the NCAA, Mark Emmert and the Board of Governors, um, as well as our own university. I was barraged with media requests suddenly to speak out about this at that time. And uh, yet I was, we were, basically left on read by our um, athletic department and the NCAA, we still nine months later have not had even a receipt of response from the NCAA. Um, and so therefore I was trying to come up with um, ways to communicate our message from the female athletes. I ended up going on the um, athletic director's website, there was a convention coming to my city, Las Vegas, where 2000 athletic directors and staff were going to be landing at the airport for a three-day convention. I got a exhibit booth inside their meeting. I was envisioning standing there alone, handing out flyers by myself um, to, to tell ADs to stand up for their women athletes. And thankfully, I was connected through Riley Gaines, the Kentucky swimmer, to Kim Jones, who's the mother of an Ivy League swimmer. She um, quickly jumped on the bandwagon. We organized tons of women athletes, organizations that wanted to help. We put together our own three-day conference um, that was going on at the same time down the street. That was just 54 days mm. later to let the NCAA know that we have arrived, we're doing something, we're organized, and they can't continue to discriminate against their women athletes. Fast forward to last week, the NCAA met at their convention. We had the blueprint. We got a booth inside the meeting to talk to them directly. And this time we put together a rally of about two dozen athletes to speak out on behalf of females again and led, um, read a, a legal demand letter now that we're threatening to bring a lawsuit if they continue to discriminate against their women athletes. And Marcia, it's amazing. You said you finished your swimming career in 2005 at Arizona. You know, thinking back to 2005 and the state of women's sports, then going back a generation before that to Title IX, it was always the quote-unquote progressive side that helped women's sports, that pushed Title IX across the finish line, that helped women's sports everywhere. And now this juxtaposition of the quote-unquote progressive side is possibly hurting women's sports. That if you're on that side, it's, it's allowing something that's not going to help girls and women compete fairly uh, against each other. How do you come to grips with that when you look at this story and think about the history of women's sports when you participated to where it may be heading now? Well, I'm ashamed to admit, to be honest, in 2005, um, I did not recognize what the women before me had to do to get Title IX um, in law in the first place. Um, I have been re-educated now recently, now that it is um, under threat by not only the Biden administration, but all of these sports governing body leaders that are just taking a backseat to activists 
um, out of fear. And, um, you know, there we have a 50-year law. There are universities across the country that have thrown themselves mar- multiple 50-year anniversary parties celebrating Title IX all throughout last year, ironically, using photos of us, the women who have built the success um, and the stories that they can then pat themselves on the back for now, um, 50 years later, while actively dismantling the um you know, opportunities of girls and women to continue to succeed, win, break records, be nominated for NCAA Woman of the Year. I mean, these are all things that we have just seen are now off the table for some women. And, uh, you know, there are athletes now that we're just not willing to let this go. Marcy Smith, our guest, the co-founder of the Independent Council on Women's Sports, What's interesting to me, Marshy, is by and large, the overwhelming majority of people will agree with our stance, your stance on this. Why do you think the NCAA isn't responding to you? Um, You know, we're told at the highest levels, um, not necessarily within the NCAA, but in sports governing bodies we're meeting with um, across all sports that there are legal concerns that they feel that the threat from the opposition activists is a bigger threat than of women. We actually um, had a, a board member tell us that he didn't believe girls would sue because women wouldn't do that. And hearing things like that firsthand is absolutely infuriating. And we... Um, are here to say that's not the case, and we will. We are ready and willing to defend, um, you know, sex discrimination in our sports, and and not give up opportunities for our own daughters, like my own six year old who's just starting swim lessons now. I got to say, Marshy, when we bring up this topic, uh, unlike a lot of other things in our country right now, there's not a lot of division on it. Even people that you would think are on the far left side of this. They just kind of say, well, it doesn't happen enough to be a big issue. They don't argue for it to take place. What's it like in your shoes in terms of what you're hearing? Not what the NCAA is hearing or fear of a lawsuit from another advocacy group, but what you hear personally from the other side of this. Because personally, we don't hear a lot of people coming back and saying, you guys are crazy to say that it's, you know, it's only right for women to play against women and compete against women. We don't get a lot of the other side of that. What do you hear? I hear the same thing. I mean, the majority of people understand this because it is a common sense reality um, truth that exists that men and women are different and we perform in athletics differently. People understand that. Um, there, I think the op- opposition side um, is kind of banking on and hoping for silence and for for fear of speaking out. Once we start talking about this openly with friends, family, go to our university presidents, our ads, coaches, um, you know, legis- legislators, um, and start talking about this freely. You know, this is not a 50-50 split on this. People recognize it's some people are choosing to prioritize inclusion 
over fairness and safety for women. And there is a choice to be made because we cannot have an equal balance. So the loud people on the inclusion side that are choosing to exclude women from sports and podiums and awards and record books are uh, hoping on on our our silence and fear that we'll be canceled or or that there's this big monster um, majority people that are going to come down on you. That is not the case at all. Uh, we need to just speak out about this and have some courage and talk to each other about this. Marcy Smith, our guest, former NCAA champion. Um, had Leah Thomas competed against you, would you be a champion? Well, we swam different strokes. Um, no, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, for example, Matt Grievers won the 100 backstroke when I won the 100 backstroke. He won on the men's side, I on the women. He was seven seconds faster than me um, if we were com compared head to head. However, we were seen as equal champions. He would have beat me by half a pool length. So we the the way that we can lift up women in athletics is by giving us our own category because we are built differently. We are built of a different design and therefore warrant a different category, just like age, just like weight, um, just like ability, um, disability status. You know, we make categories in order to offer opportunities to everyone. Otherwise, we would see 18 to 29-year-old 20, men win every competition there is. So we need to start including all of our women and girls. And I know, Marcia, the, in the letter that you read, it's, you know, you want, you're asking the NCAA to take direct and immediate action in establishing rules that keep female sports female. Um, yes. D direct and immediate reaction uh, action means what on a timetable? What do the legal experts tell you? What's the immediate future with this? How quickly are you getting the ball rolling on a lawsuit? Well, we certainly have attorneys in place and athletes um, in waiting. We we do not want to have to do this. The NCAA, in terms of timeline, if they say, well, we will review this at a later date next year, we can't do this, that's absolutely untrue. Tomorrow, they can decide to defend the rights of their women athletes. And so we are giving them the opportunity to do so. We are asking them to do the right thing because this is the right thing. How quickly do you go to the incoming president of the NCAA now that we've got a bit of a lame duck situation with Mark Emmert on the way out to try to make sure that these rules are instituted relatively quickly? We already have. <laughs> and what was the feedback? Um, we are hoping to sit down with him in the near future. Um, we are open and willing to talk to whomever any day, um, anyone in a leadership position, please reach out to us. We are reaching out to them. We are actively pursuing um, discussions at the highest levels. Marshy Smith has been our guest, co-founder of the Independent Council on Women's Sports. Marshy, thank you for the time. Uh, we're on board with what you're, you're trying to accomplish here. And given the fear of lawsuits with NIL and everything else, and I mean, let's, let's also say this, they're, they're afraid of Title IX lawsuits. I don't know right. why they're not responding to you in regards to this. Maybe they will now. Yeah, well, we hope so. Thank you, Marcia. We appreciate you.
Thank you so much. All right, there's Marcy Smith. Uh, and uh, tell your husband thank you as well for uh, being a fan of Outkick. Maybe Marcy is now too. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, or you're tanning, you're self-tanner. Yeah, she's probably just coming on thinking, why is this guy so pale? <laughs> this guy needs to get in a tanning bed some, sometime soon. It's a, it's a crazy uh, topic because yeah. I just don't encounter a lot of dispute on it. I, I don't Maybe you're different, Hutton, in terms of, but I mean, I could tweet about this all day and no one's going to contend it. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's amazing when we convince ourselves that there's just such this small, small minority of people that you have to fear when making a common sense decision and a common sense call on something. That's what's that's what's wild to me. And she brought up some interesting points about the NCAA essentially being more concerned about a lawsuit on one side as opposed to the lawsuit that could be coming on the other side. You know what else we don't understand? It, COVID testing right now in college athletics, where a game has been postponed due to COVID. Yes, in this basketball season in 2023, Iowa. And uh, details with their game on Northwestern and the outbreak, quote unquote, that they're pointing to next on Outkick 360. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chat news coming out that the Titans have narrowed down their GM search to three candidates, including Ryan Cowden, who's already the, he's already on the staff and he was the interim general manager with or without that title. He was running the organization from that angle to finish the season. And the other two are Rand Carthen of the 49ers in their front office. And uh, is Ian Cunningham? Yes. Ian Cunningham <laughs> of the Bears is the third candidate. Now, the way it's being phrased in the report is at least three. These, there's at least three that are advancing the second round. And most think that the Titans will hire their general manager by week's end. And that's – So soon. This is also the round I would expect where Vrabel gets involved. Yep. Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, Chad, so you sent the tweet you threw a text to us this morning that just said, uh, need to get into this. I, I had no idea we were still canceling <laughs> – uh, college games due to COVID. Um, but that is exactly what's happening with Northwestern and Iowa. So, North, uh, excuse me, Iowa tweets out, schedule update, Wednesday's game versus Northwestern. This was set to be played in Iowa City, will not be played as scheduled due to COVID-19 health and safety protocols. Within the Northwestern program, the two schools will work with the Big Ten on rescheduling options. Our guy, Matty Ice, with the old school Iowa jacket on right now, very upset that this game's not taking place. He had big money on the Hawkeyes in this game. Uh, I think a couple things are going on here. One, Northwestern doesn't want to play. They have other injuries also, and they have sickness now with their team. So they just really, really didn't want to have to put out walk-ons and go get massacred on the road against Iowa is part of this. And the other thing that just blows my mind right now is how this is now with us forever. I am coming to the realization that if you just don't want to play a game, you can claim COVID outbreak in 2023 or 2025 
or 2037 <laughs> and just say, we can't play. Tested positive for COVID, can't do it. How, Hutton, did we make it through decades upon decades of sports playing games and not canceling games for flu outbreaks, for colds, for stomach virus, for anything else under the pretense of if you're too sick to play, you don't play. I'm I'm going back and forth with a buddy, Brian Rice in Knoxville, who hosts a show there, uh, who works for the University of Tennessee on their broadcast. And he's been working with them since 2004. He's saying that they were forced to get a flu shot in 2004 in order to travel with the team. I didn't know that was a thing, first and foremost. But second, I keep coming back and saying, show me all the games in 2004 that were canceled for flu. Teams get sick. People get sick. And he said, I'm glad there's such stringent protocols in place with these teams. Hutton, I don't want to play high school Harry here. But I played a little high school athletics, right? Go ahead. You've been in multiple layup lines. I got sick, you know, playing sports. Here are the protocols. (laughs) If you're too sick to practice or play, you don't. You don't play. And the moment you feel that sick, you know what you do? You go back in the locker room. You pack your stuff up. You get your book bag. If you're old enough to drive, you drive your tail home. If not, your buddy comes and picks you up or your mom comes and picks you up. And you stay out of the locker room and away from the team until you're feeling well again. These are the protocols that were in place well, for years and years, and somehow we managed to not cancel games doing it. Uh, imagine if the game was canceled due to the flu for Michael Jordan uh, instead of him just being hung over and pointing to the flu. The flu game would not exist. The legend of uh, Jordan <laughs> and his uh, big night wouldn't exist because of uh, the flu slash COVID. I just, uh, it's, we've really opened the door for just madness. In terms of how we can cancel games now. I, I just, I've, I've never, <laughs> the only question I ask people say, well, they've always tested. If you get, okay, go back and show me all the cancellations. Go, go back and show me where we've treated something that's worse. I had a doctor actually reply to a tweet saying, if you're going to test, you should test for more serious conditions like meningitis and all these other things. As someone who's had meningitis, I will raise my hand and say, I'm not taking the court in any setting if someone on the other team has meningitis. That's one that if you know you have, please do not play. First off, you would not physically be able to, but that is something very, very serious How much of this that could take place. is due to the private school aspect? You know, is, like at Northwestern and Vandy doing this, are they testing more often than... I don't. I, I, that's a good question. I don't know. Also, all these schools were were told to get the vaccine. Right. I'm assuming all these athletes are vaccinated. So, well, based on the private, like, it's are you are Vandy. you admitting that the vaccinations don't work to the level that they're supposed to work when you say they're too sick to play? We know because if everyone on the court is vaccinated, then what's the problem? Right. Well, remember they, the vaccine was supposed to prevent things like this. Go get vaccinated they, so we don't have to cancel the, things. The, the, the problem Wasn't is. Wasn't that a big part of the sales pitch? Yeah. But what's your original point, though? It's that they were going to have to play a bunch of walk ons. Oh, yeah. I think that they're ducking this game, personally. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's a convenient shield if you don't want to play. So it, are they going to be out for, um, for Saturday's game as well? Based on protocol, you can just cancel I just, one. It's just, it's just a, down to a twenty-four hour bug. Now? I don't. I don't know. It's also amazing how this thing has transformed in terms of public perception and what we know. And 
You know, remember in the early stages of the NFL, if someone tested positive, I mean, it was like a death sentence yeah. in terms of their credibility in the league. You know, how dare you? How dare the Titans have no. an outbreak? Right. What have you done irresponsible to have this outbreak? And you, you almost get the scarlet letter on you if you had an outbreak. And then it was, I mean, you, you get vaccinated and we're going to get back to normal life and games won't be canceled and you can go to sporting events and rub elbows with other fans and do all these things. And now here we are in 2023, two teams, I'm sure, all fully vaccinated and boosted except for maybe one or two players. But even, and the response is, we got to cancel the game. But even if they're not, who cares at this point? Like, when's the I, I last don't. time you've heard about it from college, from the college athletic standpoint? You know what I'm saying? I, and, I, until today. I, I, I don't. I, I don't understand how we're still in this, this holding pattern. And I, I brought this up when it was going on, that this was going to change things forever. It's, it's going to change people forever. It's changing sports forever. Granted, it's not happening much. I don't want to be an extremist here. But the fact that we are two and a half years moved from quarantining right. and social distancing and we're having a game canceled, for co- you could just say sickness, right? If an entire team got wiped out with a stomach bug, 24-hour, 48-hour, and you've got your entire team vomiting and can't board a plane to go to a game. Which is what we I heard in the World Cup. I would understand someone coming back the and World saying... The World Cup was using that. Yeah, well, there was a team that half the, you know, half the roster... Netherlands, before they yeah. played the U.S., they were, half of them were sick. They looked fine, by the way. I know, but they said they the had game. the flu. Yeah, I'd understand coming back and saying, we physically can't make the trip because our guys are so sick. But just the blanket COVID outbreak. Done. Chad, Sorry, game's not happening tonight. You were among those that I would classify as patient zero, even though at the time we just said Chad had the flu. We've seen this guy host a show through this before. Much research is going to be done on my body. Uh, It's not over (laughs) my dead body. Well, it is over my dead body. When I die, they're going to do a lot of research on this body because I may have been one of the first in the U.S. to have COVID at the NFL Combine. A lot of research on the Withrow. Hutton saw me shivering under a scarf and a full jacket. Indoors, an entire show. We'll have to wash the tanning oil off of you first. I sure hug going, Chad, are you okay? (laughs) About four times during the show as I'm shaking on air. More with Outkick 360 next.